in First Corinthians chapter one, and what we've talked about so far is the fact, and, and well, really, what this series is about is about this unity that we have in Jesus. And that's something I want to make sure we're emphasizing as a church in the time that I have with you in the next uh, few weeks. I want to emphasize the unity that we should be having in Christ. That's the theme of this series in First Corinthians chapter one, verse uh, chapters one, two, and three. Excuse me. That's the theme of this. And Paul has been up to this point, just in the introduction and just in that thanksgiving that he's given, is trying to hit some of the high points of the theme that he seems to be covering in this book, essentially saying, it's not about you, y'all. It's not about y'all. It's about something bigger than you. That's really what he's trying to get across. And he begins in verse 10, which is where our text picks up. He picks up this idea that it's not about us. It's about something bigger. It's not about our our solutions, our plans, our way of doing this, but God has an approach. Not only is it God's approach, so that should just end the argument right there. It's God's approach. He's got a better plan. But not only is it God's approach, which should end the argument, but it is also a stronger, a better, a more powerful way. It's the thing that changes everything. That's really what he's starting to get into. We're only going to touch on a piece of that, sort of the beginning argument today, starting in verse 10 and going down to verse 17. And I'm going to read those verses, but I want you all to listen to me as I read those verses. Call along. If you've got a copy of God's Word, open it up. If you don't, there should be a black back book in the, front, in the back of those uh, pews that are right in front of you. Grab one of those and find that. Uh, it'll be very helpful, I think, for you to follow along. If you're able to stand with me, when I ask you to stand, uh, just out of reverence for the reading of the Lord's Word, I'm going to try to preach to you this morning, but I want you to understand that what I'm about to do right now by reading the Scripture, you're not going to get any more truth, any more pure, any more real, any more right than what I'm about to read, because this is God's Word. God penned this down for us. Here's what it says. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it had been declared unto me, of you, my brethren, that them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Christus and Gaius, lest any of you say that I had baptized in my own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, Father, we're, we're going to try to take this, take this passage and apply it to us. I pray that you will allow me, that you will grant to me the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you will cover me over so that I can share with this church what your word has said and make it applicable in a very pointed and very real way in the hearts of the very real human beings, the men, the women, 
and the, the youth and the older folks that are here, every person that is here, that they can hear this and respond to your voice, Lord. I'm asking this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You all can be seated. How in the world is this world going to be changed? How are you going to, your families, your grandchildren, your children, some of you even great-grandchildren, how are you going to be sure that your children and your future generations have any hope? How is that going to happen? How are we going to help? Because in this community, I, I don't know many very personally yet, but, but I'm sure of it because we're human beings just like everybody else in the world. There are families in this community that are hurting. Abusive fathers, uh, absent mothers, uh, children who are running crazy, rampant because the parents don't know how or just choose not to rein them in. Any number of reasons, maybe even husbands and wives that are not faithful to each other. How are we going to help those families that are hurting? How are we going to do that? How are we going to, and I'm talking to people who, y'all look good. You're Sunday morning folks. I know that. You look right. I'd, be, I'd think different of you if you, you didn't try a little bit. But I know in the heart that we have, we carry with us shame and guilt and the damage that sin does. How are we going to help any of us with those kinds of problems? How are we going to do that? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a Christian. Let me give you some other synonyms. Make sure I hit on something you understand. You're saved by grace. Jesus is your Savior. Heaven is your home. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. If any of those things are you, you actually have the answer to all those problems I was just talking about. You have the very thing in your heart, in your head, and even in your lap if you have the Bible. You have the very thing that solves those problems, those worries, those issues that are very real and very much around us. Now, why, why, why? Let me, let me stop real quick. Do y'all believe what I just said? Okay. Amen. Amen. That's what you do. Amen. That's if you believe that, let's go for that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why is it, and I'm asking a sincere question, why is it that the church, don't get, don't get too offended, I'm not talking about Ellisburg Church specifically, although if the chief gets, go ahead and put her on and wear it. Why is it that the church is known for squabbling about how we spend money, fussing about who gets to be on the stage, worrying about as one denomination that is very close and dear to this church is doing right now, worrying about the cost of compensating victims. Why are we worrying about those kinds of things? Why are we focused on that kind of thing? Why is it that the thing that could change this community is actually in our possession, yet we're over here fighting other back? Why is that? Why is that? Could it be that the devil is using a tactic that military strategists have known and used for centuries called divide and conquer? Is that what maybe he's doing? That might be what he's doing. Could it be that you, as believers, those who say you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, the saved, that Jesus is your Savior, you follow after Him, could it be that you fail to see, fail to understand, fail to appreciate the real source of your power? It's not in the money you have, not in the physical size of the congregations that we have, the size of our buildings. It is not in our 
smarts, our political prowess. It's not even in our niceness and our kindness. That is not our power. But our power is in something that is so simple, yet so profound, the bloody, the world-changing, the ancient, the God-divine, inspired and participated in crucifixion of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, His resurrection. That fact. Not doctrine. Fact. Yes, there's doctrine that flows from it, but the fact that Jesus did that, that He was God in the flesh, enrobed in flesh, walked on this earth, walked just like you and I did, felt what we feel, but perfect and holy and righteous in every aspect of that is life. And He died and sheds blood carrying your sins on the cross. That truth, that reality, that is our power. You see, now, what we've done is we've been called to follow after Jesus. And we've been called to follow after Him at the risk of our lives. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Why is He asking us those kinds of things? And the best way I can put it to you is the way Peter answered Jesus in John chapter 6. And Peter, or rather Jesus, looks at Peter and He says, are you going to go away too? And a lot of people have been leaving Jesus at the time. And Peter answers, as often Peter can do, just sort of in a simple, direct way. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the word of eternal life. I'm trying to get you to see that we've got something that this world needs. We've got something that is powerful. We've got something that will change lives. And the power of the world, the power that this world needs, is in the gospel. It is only found, it is only found in Jesus Christ. That's the power that's needed. So if you go back to the text in verse 10, he says, I beseech you. He says, I'm begging you. I'm desiring of this. Would you please do this, church? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. He says, we've got to be on the same page on some things. We've got to get on the same page. We're too much on all over the place. We need to get on the same page on a few things. He says, I need you to speak the same thing. Later on, he calls it in the same verse. He says, I need you to have the same mind and the same judgment. This, this is the this gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the same thing that we must all have. We're going to have different opinions. We're going, some of us are going to, you know, God forbid, like Carolina, and some of us, God forbid, are going to like Duke. Uh, some of us are going to have all these kinds of problems like that, like we're going to have real spiritual problems like that and not, not in, uh, appreciate those people who just beat Louisville yesterday. Uh, go deep. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let, me get on my, let me get back on my sermon. But my point is that we're going to have, we're going to have differences of opinion. That's my point. We're going to have differences of opinion. And that's okay. But we've got to have a few things that we're going to get on the same page about. And from that, then there's some things that are going to flow from that. It's going to, even when we have differences, it's going to change how we think about things. It, you see, there's going to have to be a place where we declare or proclaim. He says there we need to have speak the same thing. We need to proclaim something that's the same. That gospel of Jesus Christ. This church ought to be known. The people of this church ought to be known for speaking the truth about the gospel. But he says there that we need to have the same mind. That's the idea of valuing the same thing. We need to fully trust the same thing. Looking to the same thing completely, all of us, 
That is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We need to have that as our value system. That is the thing that we that we trust fully. He says they're the same judgment. We need to hold in high opinion the same thing. The same thing is again this gospel that Jesus is the hope of this world. And when we do that, he says in this passage, verse 10, he says, when you do that, he says, you'll be, go to the last part of the verse, he says, but you'll be perfectly joined together. He says, if you do that, you will be joined together. You will be perfectly joined together. Now, I don't want that to miss over here. This is not just simply that we're all going to be like little soldiers marching in the same direction. I think we'll be marching in the same direction, but it'll be more than that. This idea of being perfectly joined together is a very important uh, concept that the church needs to get hold of. We will be perfected. We will be exactly what God intended us to be. That's what we will be. First Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says that we were, this is talking about the church, talking about people who are saved, we were not a people. We were nothing. We were just like everything else on our way to hell, having no hope, no future, no nothing. We're not a people, but he says that we have been now made a people, the people of God. That's what happened. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, he says that there was a wall between us and God. But Jesus broke down that wall so there would no longer be division between us and God, that we can actually be reconciled, reunited with God. And we have actually been people who were torn apart because of Adam's sin in the garden. We were torn apart from what we were supposed to be. We were not what we were supposed to be. But because of what Jesus has done, He's put us back together. He's reunited us. He's repaired us. He has fixed us. He has solved that problem. So that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, He says, because I have given this to you, I've fixed y'all, you now have a job to reconcile the whole world to Jesus. Did you hear that, what he said? I made you better. I put your life together. I transformed you. So now I want you to be about the mission of fixing everybody else. So therefore, we're now perfectly joined. If we're speaking the same thing, if we're, we're believing the same things, if we're valuing the same things, if we're holding the same thing in high opinion, and that one thing is the only thing he's calling us to do that about, and that is the gospel, the fact that Jesus is the power of the world. If we will do that, we will be perfectly joined together, doing exactly what God has commissioned us to do. We will then be ready to advance. We will then be that army of the Lord, marching towards the battle in perfect formation with the gleaming weapon that we have. And it is not our silly tongues, which is unfortunately the weapon most of us use. It is not our, our muscles. It's not that. It is the weapon of the Word of God, the weapon of the gospel of truth. That is the weapon that we will have. We'll be held together. We'll be made whole. We, church, you've got to understand, we have the good news just as the good news. They need the same Jesus that, if we're doing what the passage says here, that we speak about, that we value, that we hold in high regard. He's the one who's going to transform them. He's the one that's going to unite them and heal them. There's, there's all kinds of challenges in our world, is there not? How is that? How are those chasms going to be breached? How are they going to be fixed? It's by the gospel of Jesus. But when we do not have the same thing in common, we do not speak or value or hold in high regard the gospel of Christ. He says there in the middle of the verse, 
that if you, if you don't speak the same, same things, there's going to be divisions among you. Begging them, please speak the same things because I don't want there to be divisions among you. Please do this right. What happens when you have divisions among you? It's, it's, the, the picture here is not simply there's people over here and there's people over here, so there's space between them or even a wall between them. The sense of that word is really more about the destructive ripping apart. No longer are you useful. Just to give you a silly example of this, to try to give you a picture of it, I had a, I, I, I have a, a suit, I had a suit, and it was, uh, it was a nice color of blue. Just a real, it wasn't a dark blue, it was just perfectly blue. I loved it. It made me even look more handsome than I normally do. Vanessa said I looked good in it, so I loved it. I loved that suit. And I wore it a lot. I had a pretty tie that went just perfect. Pulled it all together. It's like, it's like you were saying this morning. Pulled it all together. It was just perfect. I wore it all the time. I'd wear it every which way I could go. I'd wear it for business stuff, with it, without a tie, with a tie. It would all, it would just work. Love that thing. But, um, <laughs> it's a little personal, but I got these big old legs here. And they kind of rub together quite a bit as I'm walking around. And would you know, the one time I put that suit on, and holy crap, when I was putting that thing on. And I got to look at it, right there between where my, my big old legs coming together, just knitting all day long, I had the biggest, I mean, it was like a big old, like a rat got a hold of it. And, and it was not, you know how if you folks do any kind of sewing, you know if it was a long seam, somebody could repair it. But this is like, the fabric is gone. It's just ripped. I mean, there's nothing there. I still keep the jacket. It doesn't match anything else I've got, but I keep the jacket. But the pants, I threw away. They're pointless. They're pointless. I mean, I can't even make shorts out of them. They're, they're, they're just not useful in any way. They are completely pointless. What I'm trying to get you to see is this is the kind of, this is the sense of the word division. It's not simply a little snag or a little separation. It's actually ripping something apart. Another, another word that might come, or another thought that might come to, to help you see this is like what you do to a field when you plow it. You're actually not, you're, you're disturbing what is there. You're ripping under, and I know we do it hopefully for good reasons. We're farming, we're doing that sort of thing. But the point is, we're, we're disturbing that. We're tearing that up so the field is completely changed and transformed. Not what it was originally was. It is now something different. The point is that when we do not speak of value and hold in high regard the gospel of Jesus Christ, when our attention's anywhere else, we're divided. We're ripped apart. We are a garment that is shredded. Not only is it embarrassing, it's actually useless. That's why Paul says at the end of this passage that he doesn't want to make, this is in verse 17, he doesn't want to make the gospel of the cross of Christ of none effect. But when we are divided, we are essentially taking away the cross, the power of the cross. The influence and the power that we could have because of what Jesus did is no longer possible. You say, well, I think God's more powerful than that. And thank God He is. But there is also a concept as a church that we have to be cautious of that God is not going to stop working. He just may not work here. God's not going to stop saving people. He just may not bring those new believers here. God's not going to stop changing lives. He just may not use you to do it. You understand that? That's what we have to be concerned about. God's in control. I'm not worried about God. I'm worried about you and me. You understand? So that's what we have to see here. The stakes are way too high. 
for us to ignore what Paul is pleading. He uses the word beseech in the King James or beg or desire of pleading with him. Please do this. We can't ignore his pleading because the stakes are way too high. So, if the power of the gospel is only in Jesus, if that is true, and I believe it is, then, give you three points and they're very quick, but we'll be done. First of all, you have to follow Jesus in all your What we can't do is what they did in verse 11, and that is be focused on our personal agenda. Look at verse 11. He says there, I've heard from this, this house of Chloe. So he apparently had some contact with some folks in the church there, this woman named Chloe. Her family was, was, excuse me, was sharing some things with him. But he says there that this is what they're telling me. They're telling me that there are contentions among you. So we've heard about contentions. Now, contentions, y'all kind of know what that word means, but just imagine fighting or wrangling or debate or quarreling might be another word you might have. <laughs> the best example that comes to my mind, I, I've playfully mentioned Duke in Carolina, but one of the things I love to do at least two times a year is watch Duke and Carolina play basketball. That's, I don't care who you're pulling for, it's a good game. I don't care. It's always a good game. But if you ever watch them, and if you ever even got behind the scenes and watched what the students are doing, which is, you know, a little vulgar sometimes, but nonetheless, you see what they're doing. There's some fighting and some wrangling going on. You understand? They're not sitting there saying, oh, after you, sir, or, you know, oh, I hope you have a good game. That, that's not the way this is played. No, they're, they're, they're at each other's throats. They, they want, they could, if, if it were legal, they would they'd probably kill each other. That's just the way it is. That, there's, a, there's a fight going on. It's good entertainment because it's basketball. But nonetheless, the point is that there's this, there's, there's this contention, there's two sides at odds, and they, we're not going to let the other side win. I'm not going to give any quarter to them. I'm going to win at all costs. Now, that's interesting and entertaining on a basketball court. It ain't so pretty in a church. It's ugly in a church. When we have the power of God's gospel in our hands, yet we are going after our personal agenda, that contention comes in. And James says in James chapter 4, the first three verses of chapter 4, he says, listen, that contention, that, that fighting that you have, you know where it comes from? It comes from lust in your heart. That desire to have what you want, and no matter who it hurts, no matter who gets in the way, I want what I want, and I'm going to get it. Here's a danger sometimes. Let me just make this little side note. This doesn't really go in my flow of my message here, but I want to make this little side note to this point. One danger we have to watch out for is some people will, in our call for unity, will do what Peter says, use it as a cloak of maliciousness, basically saying, don't criticize me. I want to do what I want to do. Y'all going to be unified, so let me do what I want to do, and you do what you want to do. No, 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 no you're missing this. There is a discipline that needs to be in mind because remember, what's the main thing? You getting what you want? Us leaving you alone? You leaving me alone? Is that what we? Is that the goal? No. The same thing. Jesus is valuable. Jesus is the answer. The hope of the world is Jesus and His gospel, and we've got it, and we need to share it, and we need to show it in every way we can. If that's the main thing, then sometimes that might mean me coming and saying, "Hey, brother." You're not showing and sharing the gospel in the way that you're living right now. That might mean that what you're wanting to put forward might need to be corrected and stopped and changed and altered. You understand that? 
Because here, the problem is that these people were contentious. They were fighting with one another. They were wanting what they want. And you need to know that your plans, your pleasures, can I just go ahead and tell you, my plans and my pleasures will not change the world. We've tried that once before. If you don't remember, I'll tell you what Brother Isaiah said. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've tried it before to do our own thing, and we needed a Savior to come and save us and rescue us from our own way. We dare not try that now that we actually hold in our hand the truth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says that that gospel is hid. It's hid from those that are lost. Those that actually need what we have will be the ones who can't have it because of our desire to get what we want. Can I just go ahead and tell you that Rockingham County does not need my events, your program, that other person's activity. They don't need my good deeds. They don't need my special singing. They don't need any. They don't need my. They don't need my voice preaching to them. You know what? This Rockingham County doesn't need any of those things. We don't need another community organization. We don't need another civic club or another fraternity. We don't need a bunch of do-gooders or holier-than-thouers. We don't need more of that. If you don't believe me, just go around. They're, they're all over the place. They're all over the place. Maybe some of y'all are some of them too. But nonetheless, we don't need that. That's not what this church needs or this, this community needs. We don't need another gathering of like-minded people who all think the same thing but on the wrong direction. We need our, fam- or rather our families, our friends, our neighbors depend on us to speak of the power that Jesus has to transform lives. They depend on us to value Jesus as Lord and Savior, the one we follow after. They depend on us to hold Jesus in highest regard, not as our as our hope for the future, not the next political candidate that comes along. But we need to see that, or let them see that we value Jesus above political affiliation, above personal preferences, above all of those things. That's the thing that we have to see. You see, we're going to we're going to be a church that actually sees God move. We've got to check our agendas at the door. We've got to get in line behind Jesus Christ Himself. Follow Him, speak of Him, and hold Him up as what this world needs. We have to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. We have to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. I need to hurry on, but stay with me if you don't mind. In verse 12, where He says there that these people, this is what they were content, being contentious about, saying that they follow after Paul and Apollos and Cephas and Christ. They were focused on various personalities. But you see, we can't worship these people. We have to worship Jesus. They were worshiping after Paul, the original recipe, if you will. That traditionalist guy. Everybody knows Paul. He's written letters to all the churches. Everybody, he's the guy everybody likes. You've got to follow after Paul. Or Apollos. The Bible tells us he was a, apparently a very eloquent man, very knowledgeable preacher. He was the new guy on the block. There's always somebody that likes the new guy on the block. We've got to be careful not to, to be excited about that. Then there's Peter, or rather, he calls him here as Cephas, but he, his name is Peter in the New Testament. You know him as Peter, but he's also, his second name is, is Cephas. You know anything about Peter? Peter was the guy who was a little bit of a roughneck. He, he, was a, he was a Jew from way back. 
He did it the old way. He was, he was, he got knuckles and he was into it, man. He was, he was rough. And some people like that kind of thing. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's, it's okay. Fine. But some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like those kind of preachers that are rough and kind of get all mean and spitting and all that sort of thing. If y'all like that, fine. That's good. Anyway, I'll move on. And then there were some of these people that said, no, no, we're of Christ. They thought they had the inside track. They had information that nobody else had. They were better than everybody else. They had Jesus as their master. We're not like you other people. We're better than you are. What you've got to understand here is, and this is, I think, the, 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 the line that Paul appropriately walks in these verses, if there are good people in this world that God uses, that we should follow after but we have a problem when we start to worship these people because this is my kind of leader. And he says there in the next verse, verse 13, he says, Christ about it. We're actually tearing Jesus apart, apportioning him out and saying, well, you get a little bit more of Jesus. Oh, don't like you as much, you get a little bit less. Hang on a minute. That's not what Jesus said. We just read our opening passage. He is in all and He's in us all. He is for us all. He is with us all. He is for all of us. He is one. It's been said that when you get saved, after you get saved, you don't get any more of God. Certainly there is a place where we need to let God have more of us. But I don't get more of God. I get every bit of Him. Out of the gate. I get all of Him. By the way, not just Matthew. You. This is something, sometimes we get this idea that, oh, there's Matthew Tilly standing up there and he's preaching and he studies for this and he's whatever. And so I somehow have some special anointing from God and I hope God does use me in that way. But do you understand, it's one of the reasons I like to be called a Baptist. I like to be a Baptist. We believe in this idea of the priesthood of the believers, that you have access to God yourself. You have Him. He is your God. He is your King. He is yours. We don't want to take a little part of it and say, well, this man must be the man. I've got to follow after him. No. Jesus is the man. He's the one that we follow. He's the one that we're after. He goes on to say, Christ divided, but was Paul crucified for you? Did you know that there is nobody in this world that ever did and never will die for your soul? Jesus is the only one that did. He goes on to say, was, what, are you baptized in the name of Paul? When you get baptized, you go through the waters of baptism. When that happens, you're identifying yourself with the one who died for you. Do you know when you identify yourself with the waters of baptism, it better not be the man who's baptizing you. It better not be the, the man whose name is on the marquee of the, of the church that you are attending. That's not who you're being baptized in the name of. You're not identifying yourself with him. And Lord help us, you are. You are identifying yourself with Jesus. God does use people. But he uses them to lead them to Jesus. Fortunately, the church is too known for our factions and not for our love. Jesus is the one that's transforming. Jesus is the one that fixes people. I've got to watch my time, but I, I want to get this point across to y'all. I've gone to churches before. And people have pulled me aside and said, and we sure do like you. You're better than the main previous pastor. We like you better than him. And 
lie. I'd be lying if I didn't tell you, man, I sure do feel good when you say that. Man, it's tough things to do, I know. It's not about me being better than him or him or anybody like that. I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm honest when I say I, I can call witness to that flattery. It's not about any one particular preacher or teaching type. It's about Jesus himself. It can happen in a church where we can get some, maybe it's people who have a lot of money, maybe it's people who've got a lot of personality. Is there any number of reasons why these people bubble to the top of our list? We're like, yep, he's our man, he's our woman. We've got to get behind that person. They, they've got it all together. And we'll follow some people like that. And again, God can use you. I want you to know God can use you. I don't care how much money you do or don't have. I don't care how much personality you do or don't have. He can use you. So I'm not trying to take anything away from you, but we have to be careful to not try to line up behind these people. Because that's not the goal here. The goal here is to line up behind Jesus. And yes, God will put some men and some women in our way that we can follow behind because they will lead us in the right direction. But the minute that they get one inch off, a millimeter off, it's not about that person anymore. It's about the Savior. We've got to get that mindset. We've got to be careful about, in this era, we talk a lot about politics. Oh my goodness. There's no politician that's going to save us. Not at all. Be careful, friends. You can have your politics. You can vote how you want to. You can have your yard signs. You can fly your flags. You can do those things. But make sure that the Savior that you are that you are lifting up, that you are valuing, that you are preaching to this community is not, and I dare not say names, whoever it is that you want, but it's Jesus. Make sure that's the case. Make sure that's the case. So we only have one to follow. Leaders and preachers and politicians are going to come and go. Some of them are going to help you. Some of them are going to disappoint you. I can guarantee you if the Lord provides me an opportunity to be here, if He directs me here, if I, and by the way, if I haven't already, I'll be surprised. But I can guarantee you if I haven't already, he, I will disappoint you at some point. I'll make you mad. I'm trying to tell you that there's human beings that going to come from some of them are going to encourage you, and others are going to enrage you. But there's only one who has ever and who ever will save your soul. Please don't get so behind a person or a personality that you miss who really is your Savior. For the sake of time, I'm just going to simply briefly mention in these next few verses he talks about baptism, and he essentially says, listen, it's not about baptism. The only thing I need you to commit yourself to is Jesus. We can get so caught up in our traditions and our rituals and even our doctrinal, our orthodox doctrine. It's, it, don't, don't, don't hear me wrong. If you take that out of context, you'll be missing my point. I believe in doctrine. Good, orthodox doctrine. But you take doctrine, you take religious practices, and divorce it from Jesus Christ, you have dead religion. Jesus is not the center of this thing. There's no sense to any of it. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, which I would interpret to be the love of Jesus Christ. If I do not have that, he says, I am. 
could get baptized in every Christian hole from here to the coast and go get in the big one called the Atlantic Ocean if you want to. And if you're doing so as your hope of your salvation, we believe in baptism. We got it on the sign. We're baptists. We believe in it. But do understand that the reason for that baptism is to publicly identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. If you miss the Jesus you're following, I don't know what you're following. Pool of water? But he's talking about it in the context of baptism. But I want you to understand that we have to relish the unity that Christ provides. Alive and lost. Families are going to continue to hurt. Sinners are going to continue to exist. I'm going to close with this. In fact, I'm only going to go ahead and let's go ahead and have an invitation. Let's do that. Let's pray. Would you mind coming and praying for just a second? And I want y'all to go ahead and stand. You say, well, Matthew, that seems like a weird ending. Maybe that's what I'm saying to myself. It seems like a weird ending. It's time to show why if I don't land this plane, I'm going to keep on going and y'all are going to go to the house. But I want y'all to hear the seriousness of what I'm trying to get across to you. We are not focused on Jesus as our hope. If Jesus is not the end, if Jesus is not who we value, we're going to hurt some people. I mean, it's not just that we need to close up shop and go home. We need to do that. But we're going to hurt some people. In fact, some of y'all have been hurt by churches who got their eyes off the Lord. Who have been more interested in who stood in the senior pastor role than following the Savior. We're more interested in not running somebody off that put dollars in an offering plate than making sure that Jesus was the master that were more interested in making sure nobody was ever offended by anything than making sure that Jesus was seen as the Lord of that congregation. Please don't let that happen here. This is primarily a message for the believers that are here, people who are following Jesus. I'm inviting you to come to ask the Lord for forgiveness, to ask Him to change you, to ask Him to provide a transformation in your soul. You say, well, Matthew, I'm already saved. I understand that, but some of y'all are mistakenly trying to fix things your way by your agenda. Some of y'all are mesmerized by personality. Some of y'all are misled by traditions and religious speech. And you're missing Jesus. Won't you come and ask the Lord to forgive you? Say, Lord, you're the only one I'm at that matters to me. Won't you come? Won't you come? He's going to play silently. Why don't you bow your head? If you're not going to come, bow your head. If you are, you come on. But bow your head just for a moment. Just be quiet. Just to, to put, you, put some introspection on this. Talk to the Lord. But why don't you come? If the Lord's moved, you won't you come? Why don't you come? There's a few coming, and while they do, I do want to make sure I make this appeal. If you've never come to Jesus for your eternal life, Nothing else will save you. The agenda that you pursue will damn you. The best leaders in the world will disappoint you. And religion will merely mislead you. Won't you come to Jesus? The Jesus we've been preaching about, He will save you. Won't you come? If you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, one, you can do it right where you stand, where you sit. You can do it right now. 
But if you need some help, why don't you come? You look at me. You grab me. Don't leave here without talking to someone. I will show you from the Scriptures. I can get other people to help us if we need to. I can get, I've got, I've got several people that I can trust that I can pull in to have a conversation with you. So don't you worry about that. But I want you to come to Jesus. Would you please? Would you please? Y'all talk to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you for being misled.